Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Wadier, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing fantastic, my friend. Today's conversation is going to be a good one. I'm going to put it out there into the universe. Mm. Uh, As always, we're going to have some fun, probably have some laughs, tell some bad jokes, but (laughs) we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing, which is talking about fasting and how to adopt this fasting lifestyle to get the long-term weight loss and health results that you have not been able to acquire up until this point. And that is Mm -hmm. exactly how you and I ended up here, Tommy. Um, we both have similar stories and similar journeys. And if you want to hear more about that, you can feel free to go back and listen to the first few episodes of the podcast, learn a little bit more about who we are and what we do. Hmm. If you are indeed new to the Fasting for Life podcast, there's a lot of fasting podcasts out there. It is a new thing, a new hot topic, a new conversational thing that you hear a lot more about. Yeah. Even though fasting has been around since the dawn of time. Um <laughs> So we appreciate you guys listening. If you've been a longtime listener, give us a shout out. Let us know how your journey's going. Mm-hmm. Uh, info at thefastingforlife.com. If you're looking for some resources, you go to thefastingforlife.com. Go to resources. We've got a fast start guide, an insulin assessment, some tools to get you started or help you along your way on your fasting journey. And we we like reviews. So now we are yeah. well over 1 million downloads. So just Ooh. an appreciation shout out. We haven't done it in a while. We've gotten a little nerdy and some <laughs> and diving into some of the more deeper physiological concepts around fasting and over the last few weeks. So I want to give each and every one of you listeners a shout out. Continue to tell Apple and Spotify and the podcast gods that we are doing something that is worth listening to. So drop us a five-star <laughs> review. Those are our favorite. Uh, Give us a reach out. Give us a shout out. Let us know how your fasting journey is going. Uh, All right, Tommy. So today's conversation, I'm just going to throw out a disclaimer at the beginning. Okay. Okay. You ready? Ready. Okay. So we are not going to be speaking around today's conversation in all seriousness from a clinical perspective. okay? Okay. If you listen to this topic and you think that you uh, align or have some of these issues from a clinical standpoint of an addiction, then we definitely want you to go get and and get some help and seek out the right people. And we'll give yeah. you some, some guidelines on what that looks like. But we want to talk about uh, an article that was written by Stephen Guinette. Um, that's pro- I'm not sure about the pronunciation. I did go in and Google the pronunciation ahead of time, but I didn't believe that that was correct because it seemed really ju- jumbled. <laughs> yeah. So um, he is a PhD and he wrote this article around food addiction and is it real and does it matter? So mm. it's something that's out there and it's something that we hear a lot in feedback for people that are coming to fasting as a way to lose weight, 
mm-hmm. and regain their health. And there's a lot of conversation around cravings and off-limit foods or bad foods or sugar addiction, right? Yeah. And so we want to talk about this from a come from of an understanding that there is something going on with our relationship with food as a society that is leading to the skyrocketing weight and obesity epidemic Mm. that is then in turn leading to metabolic disorders, heart disease, diabetes, and all of those other comorbidities that come with, you know, blood pressure and cholesterol and thyroid and medications, right? So the, the reason why I felt like this was, we felt like this was a good conversation is there's a lot of correlations between our own personal journey and foods that we crave and dare I say are, we're addicted to. So, you know, just overview food addiction, like drug addiction is not in the DSM, Mm. right? It's not in the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders, but what Yale has done has come up with because there is something going on again, right? With this, this epidemic of increased waist circumference and increased heart Mm -hmm. disease. And all of these numbers are skyrocketing, even though not, not fear mongering here, but even though we're do, we have more access to healthcare here in the States, we're spending 10 times as much in trillions of dollars a year on our healthcare system. Yeah. But we can't seem to get a handle on what's happening when it comes to our food supply and our manifestation of our behaviors. So it's really cool because we're going to speak through this from our own personal experience that there's a new tool that's come out because a lot of this research is new, right? Yeah. And the new tool has come out from the Yale Food Addiction Scale or the YFAS, and they've come up with seven features of addiction that are incorporated into this scale. And when you mm-hmm. and I read this, we both went, oh my God, I have those. Right. So can this really be real? And We're not going to go down the rabbit hole of rodent models and human models and how Mm -hmm. sugar has a definite dopamine effect on the brain. And um, I want to come from the palliability, the salt, sugar, fat conversation and that angle. And then really how fasting is like fixed a lot of this stuff for us. So anyway, I'm going to that's the introduction. So here you go. (laughs) I'm just going to sit back and listen for the next 10 or 15 minutes and have you unpack it for us. All right. So uh, the the Yale Food Addiction Scale, talk about mind blowing. Like I had I had never seen anything organized in this way. And honestly, if I had looked at this before my fasting journey had began, I don't I don't know exactly know what I would have thought. I I probably honestly would have thought, well, that stuff doesn't really apply to me because I know how to track the calories and the macros of what I'm eating, even when I am eating the foods that I can't seem to get myself away from or can't stop thinking about. So to your point, salt, sugar, fat, that really started to, that book really started to open my eyes to, you know, what could potentially be going on with my own psychological cravings, my own physiology, and the fact that what I was really craving or what I tended to expose myself to as far as ultra processed or indulgent foods for myself, because I grew up eating them and I had emotional ties to them. I, I really did highly crave them. Those were things that I, I couldn't separate myself from mentally. I could put them off. I could diet, exercise vigilantly, re- religiously even, and and put them off 
for a while, but I would be craving them. I would be looking forward to them. I would even look for any excuse to jump off my diet bandwagon for the week by Thursday or Friday. Hopefully my wife was on board like, hey, hon, um, you know, what are we eating for dinner tonight? Like, uh, oh, yeah, we already have that prepped. Right. <laughs> but yeah, but you don't really want to eat what's in the fridge. Right. Uh, maybe we should just get a pizza. How does that sound? And then just kind of just kind of floating it out there. And and if if she if she grabbed onto it, it was like, yes. All right. Cool. So I'm kind of off of this wagon, at least for the next couple of days. I can I can have some more of these highly craveable foods. That'll be OK through the weekend. And then I'll get back on board Monday. This was like this was the cycle that I lived for years and years and years. And when I look at this Yale food addiction scale, there are seven points here. And I, I quickly counted six out of those seven that I clearly, clearly had, despite probably not being able to admit it to myself just maybe three years ago. And uh, that it was it's, it's eye opening. Yeah. So just real quick, the substance tends to be consumed in larger amounts or over longer periods of, of uh, time than intended. Right. Reducing time. So these are already hitting home with me. Reducing time spent on important recreational, social, or work-related activities because of consumption. Mm -hmm. Persistent desire or unsuccessful attempts to stop or curb consumption. Continuing consumption despite negative physical or psychological consequences. And there's yep. a little blood sugar meter there as an image. Yeah. Spending a lot of time on activities related to consumption or recovering from consumption. Mm -hmm. Needing more of the substance to achieve the desired effect and withdrawal so like unpleasant symptoms when withdrawing from the substance yeah so again when we started this there's also another scale created the addiction like eating behavior scale the aebs and that's not directly derived from um, an analogy like say a drug addiction the difference with food is is that we need food we need inputs to to nourish our bodies right so right. you don't need methamphetamine Right. Like that's sure. that there's a different level of chemistry that's going on there, but there are some similarities. And the most common one that we hear about is a sugar addiction. Right. So oh, I'm yeah. addicted to sugar. Right. Well, I know for me, I've never been a sweets guy. Mm. So if sugar addiction was the main driver of the, the carb insulin uh, model of obesity, then how did I get there? Right. right? <laughs> I fall more into the the fat. And also the, the the savory type category, right? right? Salty, so, crunchy, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's that's more me. And I'll sit yeah. there, you know, and this is what I used to do with the the big bag of skinny pop or the bag of potato chips, or mm -hmm. that was me. Like I would always just sit there and we'll talk a little bit about those different scenarios and, and how we can combat them and give you some some action steps. And you know, fasting obviously is gonna be the the top of the list. And we're gonna talk a little bit about fasting a little differently today in terms of you're picking your fasting, choosing your fasting windows or choose your yeah. own adventure. But the, sh the thing with sugar, and it's the most common one, so I just want to mention it, is that, you know, looking at the consumption of sugar over the years, sugar consumption's actually gone down recently, but the obesity overweight categories and those statistics are continuing to go up, right? Mm. So is sugar a problem? Yes, it's everywhere. Yeah. And the, and the USDA claims the average American consumes about 156 pounds a year or 34 teaspoons of sugar a day more than what our body needs. Mm. So if sugar, so six teaspoons a day for women, nine teaspoons a day for men is the recommended amount. But 
if sugar consumption has gone down dramatically recently, and we're more aware that big food exists and the salt, sugar, fat book, these genetically modified Twinkies that can, you know, survive for decades on the shelf, right? right. Not real food. The problem is, is that, you know, when we're looking at the sugar consumption, that's where we get into the blood sugar swings. We get into insulin resistance. We get into a, right. a quick energy uh, spike in the body, which then can cause that crash. It can also decrease, you know, BDNF, which is uh, brain-derived nootrophic factors. And that really can um, not allow our neuro neurology, our, neuro our neuroendocrine system to function properly. Sure, yeah. Brain fog, post-lunch crashes and all that. So that's the most common one. But what I love about the, the, the scale is that it, it kind of nailed me to the cross, right? Just like it did mm. for you. You're like, wow, I had six out of seven of those. Yeah. And uh, it was like, did I always have these? Like, did I just not realize that I had them? And I, I couldn't really like see the, the picture frame from inside the picture. It was like, I, I couldn't even understand that these were limiting not only my, my own results, but my own psychology until I started consistently applying fasting because once I once I started doing that, that gave a little bit of built-in separation for myself to where if I set a timer for 16 hours and I'm not going to eat anything for that 16 hours, well, well, guess what? That's 16 hours that I might have these cravings, but at the same time, assuming I stick to that 16-hour plan, I don't have the input. So I'm not going to stop by my local fast food place. I'm not going to order a pizza. I'm not going to expose myself to whatever that highly craveable food is for at least the next 16 hours. And now I have a little bit of time to think about it. So if I spend a, a, an hour of that time reading salt, sugar, fat, I learn something new about potentially one of the foods that was so crave worthy, craveable for me, I might have a little bit more mental ammunition to go, yeah, you know what? M maybe maybe that particular habit's not really serving me super well, so maybe I'll limit my exposure even a little bit longer. Maybe when I break this fast, I'm not gonna break it with that highly craveable food, even though I kinda like to. Maybe I'll separate myself a little bit further, which, which I think was, was like, I feel lucky that that was built in to my fast because I don't know if I would have gotten there like just on my own. Like I never had that thought that I needed to do that to separate myself, but it kind of just happened when I started fasting. Yeah, it wasn't my intention either to end up in a place where I would have a realization that the thing that I was doing in the moment that I was enjoying for whatever mm -hmm. reason, right? Um, was going to result in me feeling a certain way, you know, immediately after the consumption, yeah. or let's say the next morning when my sleep was all disturbed. And right. I noticed for me, one of those things was alcohol, where my it, the realization came for me was was actually with my kids, where it was like, man, I'm tired and I'm more angry and I'm more irritable the next day mm -hmm. after consuming a few IPAs on a date night. I know we talk a lot about this because it's like one of those things that's just been a habit for that's been ingrained as a non-negotiable for so long. Sure. Um, and in between, there's not much consumption, but that Saturday was not nearly as enjoyable. 
right? Like the weekends mm. were starting off not feeling great and being on my game to be that better dad, that better husband. So that's where the realization yeah. has come in for me as well. Not just specifically like, you know, bantering back and forth about, you know, the research and medical communities don't really know if food addiction is is a real thing, right? Like like a substance addiction, like, like tobacco or yeah. a non-substance addiction, like gambling. There's really no consensus when it comes to food. But, you know, I know that on a Friday night, just like you would message your wife and be like, hey, so what do you want to do for dinner tonight? I'd be the same thing. Be like, hey, you want to go, you know, you want to go grab some drinks and hang out? Like right. that was my that was my default because mm. that's what I did for so many years through the being in, in the restaurant business and it just being like the social cue. And we'll talk about cues and kind of habits here in a minute. But it's interesting because when we when we continue to look at the 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 things that like support the concept of food addiction, you know, modern processed foods that stimulate the brain, the dopamine response, especially yeah. the combination of fats and carbohydrates, Yes, um, calorie dense processed foods, rich in refined carbohydrates are more likely to trigger those addiction like eating behaviors while the more simple unprocessed foods are less likely to trigger. So there is evidence out there that people self-identify. This is why we're talking about it because we hear this often. All the time, right? yeah. Mm -hmm. All the time. When you're addicted to a certain food and like you can you, you experience distress due to the struggles of trying to control that intake. And we don't right. you can't restrict and omit your way to happiness. Yeah. And then the 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 the, the Yale uh, food scale, you know, takes some of that criteria and applies it to the food. So it's not an exact like apples to apples, but there are some correlations there. And people with that self-labeled food addiction have a pattern of brain activity that's similar to the drug addiction or the gambling addiction. Mm -hmm. Now, when we're looking at like rodent studies versus human studies, like we don't want to go down that path again, not our area of expertise, but how can we then like, there are neurochemical changes that take place, but how can we insulate ourselves and encourage ourselves to celebrate the, the journey of how to take the situations, Tommy, that you and I experienced and actually put them into a plan, like where you know that you have the control panel in front of you, where you can pull this lever down and bring this lever up right. to increase your confidence to know that, you know, maybe I'm not addicted to the food. Maybe it's the, the, the cue that causes me to uh, exhibit the habit that manifests yeah. itself in a food related behavior. And that wow. was me. Yeah. That was me. The pizza, the beer, the 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 Sunday fun day, mm -hmm. the the date night, like I've had that realization recently where I'm like, yeah, the juice isn't worth the squeeze anymore for me. Yeah. Like, I just don't feel good enough, but if I was truly addicted to food, like how did I just meander my way through and figure <laughs> out a way to break it? Well, no, yeah. there was there were some sustainable things that we did in between to get there. Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second and tell you just an incredible story about an amazing company that we've come across recently. Um, and now they are a sponsor of our show. It's airdoctorpro.com. You can head to the website, use a promo code uh, FASTING4LIFE to receive up to $300 off. But most importantly, uh, my little guy, my two-year-old, has not slept consistently through the night uh, since he was born. We have tried everything you can imagine. He is our third child. 
And we're just like, what is happening? So we have gone to great lengths, time, money, and effort to figure out um, how we can help him sleep. And uh, the reality is uh, we were pretty much just resigned to the fact that this is how it's going to be until we put the Air Doctor Pro in his room. And I am not joking when I tell you the first night that we put it in his room, he slept through the night. The second night, slept through the night. Now we're up to 35 plus days that he has slept through the night. He has only woken up two times, rather than two, three times a night, two times in the last 35 days and counting. And we are just so incredibly grateful. The reality is uh, we had a feeling that it was something that we were missing. And the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air these days. In some cases, up to 100 times more. We spend 90% of our time indoors. And we take 20,000 breaths a day. So what's the solution? An air purifier, a cut above the rest. I'm not going to lie. We have tried others. We've tried other HEPA filters. We've tried other air filters. We have spent the money and they have not done the results that Air Doctor did in literally the first day that we put it in his room. They filter out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants. That includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mite, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. So I don't know what it was that was keeping them up. But it is now gone. So Air Doctor comes with a 30-day Breathe Easy money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com. Use promo code fasting for life to receive up to $300 off air purifiers. An exclusive listener um, offer for you as well. You'll receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. That's exclusive to you, the podcast listener, now hearing this in real time. Lock this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code fasting for life. You guys know that we are very particular with who we partner with. And if it wasn't for this incredible company and this, the incredible results that we've seen, I would not be encouraging you to head to the website and take advantage of the fasting for life promo code. So if you support our sponsors, you are ultimately supporting us. We are grateful for you listening in. And now back to today's episode. Yeah, and I, I think you have to start becoming a little bit um, observant of those things. And, and sometimes journaling can help where you go like, okay, if, 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 I'm, if I'm consistently setting a fasting timer, but I'm having trouble sticking to it, or I'm having trouble like, you know, being focused on, on my why, why I'm actually doing this, or why is this important to me? Should I be consistently fasting? Because we ask, we ask questions all the time. Uh, from from people who who follow us and who are on our on our email list and things like that and and the most common kind of response that we get for some of those questions is something like I'm just having trouble getting back on track or consistently sticking to my timer well I know for myself personally especially when I when I started off with fasting I had a lot of trouble sticking to it because of things like highly craveable foods that I I couldn't wait to put back into my window whenever I broke my fast. So let alone the fact that I could easily undo my calorie, my, my, my calorie deficit or, you know, any of the time that I had just spent burning through my fat stores, I could undo that by putting the wrong foods into that next window. But what I realized was I, I feel awful afterwards. I, I started to associate those negative physical feelings with my next fast. And those, each one of those made it a lot easier for the next time I set my fasting timer to go, yeah, you know what? I don't, I don't want to break my fast that way again. 
because that was not fun. I don't want to feel like that again. So th that started to make it like a more natural process to where I wasn't just clawing my way to good habits. It felt like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm making different choices because th that's how I want to feel. And that, that was much easier to do. Interestingly, out of this article, right, that Dr. Steven had, had done this, like, if you look at the, I want to come back to that point, and I have a point of going back just a second, is mm. if you look at the references, there's like 50 references in this article, like considering the definition, a critical exam of practical implication, uh, impl implications derived from food addiction concept, food reward and cocaine increased extracellular dopamine and nucleus, yeah. which foods may addic be addictive. So to your point of not just stumbling upon this, it was the consistent repeatability and sustainability of those fasts that, in my opinion, really balanced out my cravings and my blood sugar, sure. which can also lead to those things. Yeah. But one of the last takeaways I want to mention is that in here, there's specific uh, research that, that hits on energy restriction and other weight loss diets, including those based on calorie restriction and carb restriction, re directly reduced food cravings. Mm. So if you're sitting here going, wow, this is kind of overwhelming. Yes, this is me. I have a sugar. I'm addicted to this. I've, I've got whatever it is, right? Yeah. Is that the, the first thing here would be to commit to, and this is what I was hearing with what you were saying, is committing to a window with a little bit of reflection. Yeah. Right? Like in the beginning, going all the way to back, the first time I broke a 24-hour fast or a one meal a day, it was not a meal. It was a buffet. <laughs> and I told myself, I'm never going to break my fast that way again. Then I also know that if I'm going to be doing, let's say, the, a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to be doing a, an advanced schedule, a more aggressive fat loss schedule. Yeah. I am not going to eat high calorie dense, low nutrient dense foods mm -hmm. before I go into waking up the next day and going into a longer fast because I know my hunger cues, my blood sugar swings, oh, yeah. my mood, my fatigue, all of that poor sleep is going to make me swing way into the man. This is uncomfortable and kind of sucks category. Right. Right. And that is not a way to go into your next fast. That's not a way to enjoy the process. That's not a way to to actually burn through those long term fast stores consistently. That's not a way to to gain momentum within the process. Like you have to, you have to set yourself up for success. And, and, and it, it looks very different from what you just described. It looks like intentional, a little bit of planning and, and realizing when you feel bad with certain foods and then doing something a little bit different intentionally and consistently. Oh, I just love this, this idea. Well, we know that there's evidence that shows that fasting can help with that metabolic flexibility better blood sugar control, insulin sensitivity, so you don't get those big swings or those big cravings anymore. Right. We also know it helps balance out your leptin and ghrelin, which is your satiety and hunger hormones, right? Like we know mm -hmm. that those can, then once we pull the resistance down, you're gonna get those hunger cues like that are really hunger and not yeah. just the cephalic phase and our five senses telling us that we are hungry because we saw the Chick-fil-A sign driving home. <laughs> but I love this quote from uh, Dr. Will Cole, and he talks about it's unique from, uh, you know, fasting is unique from other programs because it encourages people to customize their fasts, mm. making it longer or shorter to suit their personal needs. So this isn't like a meal plan. Yeah. Like, here's your meal plan. Well, guess what? 
we're not a big fans of meal planning because we're telling you what to eat. Well, how about we teach you how to make the decisions on what works for you? Yeah. You know, that whole teach a man to fish mm-hmm. analogy or whatever yeah. that I'm terrible at paraphrasing <laughs> things. So I'm not going to, but you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so it's never meant, and we say this all the time, it's never meant to restrict or omit. It's, it's never meant to feel punitive or painful is the wording that he uses. Right. Mm. And if you have disordered True. eating, like, you know, let's get some help, right? Don't just try to do this on your own. Yeah. But the the protocols for fasting are really secondary to someone's relationship with their body and their relationship with their food. Yeah. And that's something that we talk a lot about because it can be a trigger for some, but you can't hate and shame your way into loving the process. Like we have to enjoy the process along the way on what it is that we're doing. And there's nothing better for me when I started to, to commit to it in the short term, mm-hmm. zoom, forget about the long-term goal, losing 50 pounds, right? right? I was just like, that's a lot. What is my next fasting window? Yeah. And seeing the wins, like that was, that was the accelerator for me. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I want to make sure we talk about a few things to curb this concept of food addiction, wherever you fall on the spectrum of in agreement or not. Right. But we didn't, we didn't fast our way into obesity epidemic, right? Yeah. We didn't yo-yo, we, we yo-yo dieted our way and restricted our way into this imbalance that we're sitting in. Yeah. So I want to make sure that we talk about some actionable things that we can do to, to stop that, in my opinion, which is that emotional cue, which is where we talk about the halt BS method and making sure, like you said, journaling, but we're identifying like, what's my eating type? Like, where do I, where do I go awry? Do I overeat? Mm-hmm you know, and eat to excess and then feel uncomfortable and go back for seconds, even though I shouldn't. These, this is the mental chatter component. Yeah. Am I a grazer? Do I just snack when I'm bored or sit in front of the TV and just open the bag and next thing I know the bag's gone? Am yeah. I more like the professional, you know, I travel a lot for work, so I'll go and I'll have big lavish dinners and then drinks with the clients after. Right. Or do I overindulge at restaurants? Is it like, I'm going to start with a drink, go to the bread, go to an appetizer, go to a salad, go to a dinner and take home a dessert. Right. <laughs> or, or like the, you know, the desktop diner. Now today's world, mm-hmm. we all work from home. Am I just like you say, Tommy, the revolving pantry door. So you need to yep. know where you are and what your kryptonite is and identify it first and foremost. There's a lot there. Um, you mentioned the halt the BS method. Right. And I know a lot of folks- Yeah, we need um, a framework because that was a lot of jargon. So yes, thank no, you. No, yeah, it was great. Um, the halt the BS is is basically looking at what are those reasons behind those triggers that might lead you to the behaviors that you'd, you'd rather not see or you want to curb or you want to get away from. Well, if you, if you take a look and think about it like a checklist, like am I hungry, angry, lonely, tired, bored, or stressed, those are the most common reasons why we we will go to food, especially those craveable ones or the ones that make us feel a little bit better, whether it's because it's a little endorphin rush or a little dopamine, just it, it makes us, it, we have some happy hormones, some happy chemicals that kind of come out or it reminds us of of a happy time or something something along those lines. It kind of, um, like they say, eating your uh, eating your feelings sometimes. I've done that thousands of times. So if if you are doing, if you f- are feeling one of those ways when you find yourself reaching for that food that you don't want to be reaching for, or it's not serving your goals, then take a step back, count down five, four, three, two, one, even set a timer for for five minutes, 
10 minutes, walk away from the situation. When you come back, when the timer goes off, you're likely to have kind of rebalanced that emotional state and not feel like you need the food to kind of fill that in the moment. And then, you know, if, if you're in the middle of a fast right then, then you can just get right back to, to where you were and, um, you know, just keep crushing that fast right there. Yeah. And I love, so the halt's important, right? H-A-L-T, right? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. But the B and the S are so much more important for me. Mm. Am I bored and am I stressed? So like identifying those cues again, I know we've said this a lot, but what time of day do you crave the food or what time of your fast? Is it, and typically for yeah. me, it's, it's between, it, it was between one and 3 PM. Okay. And for a long time, it was post dinner. It was post closing my window when I was doing one meal a day with dinners. Mm -hmm. So what moods make me crave certain foods? In what situations do I typically overeat? With what people do I usually mm. eat the oh, wrong foods a, with? That's a big one. Mic drop right there. Yeah, right? So with just silence. Which people do I typically yeah. overeat? And yeah. what places usually end up causing those cravings? Mm. Right? So is it the bakery at the grocery store? Is it the... So we need to identify where this the, the, the mental chatter begins. And then we want you to swap the routine. So we typically try to change the behavior when we need to change the routine. Yeah. Right. We restrict the behavior, but no, we need to try to insert something that, you know, let's say, you know, you have uh, certain cravings at a certain time of day or you're bored. Right. Or you're mindlessly yeah. watching TV or you're just hanging around the house. Right. Um, you need to like know that at this time every day, maybe it's time to go for a walk. Right. Or maybe it's time to put in that workout or maybe it's time to do something for you, like something you enjoy to do. And I used to do this early on in the process. And I just forgot about this. When I would hit those points, if I stayed in the house, cause I work from home, I, yeah. this was after being in, in practice and out of the house all the time where convenience was more the issue, but in the home, it was more of like the, well, I just milling around the house. I'm going to take a break from my calls. I guess I'm going right. upstairs and open the fridge. Right. Like right. growing up, I can hear it in my head, <laughs> yeah. like close the fridge, like close from my dad, get out like, of the pantry, go That's outside, you're bored. Right. <laughs> like, so my point of bringing that up was, you, you can't, if there's a, once you've identified the time, let's say, mm. you can't just say, all right, I'm just going to sit by myself and stare at the fridge and expect my willpower. <laughs> no, you need to put something in that space that you enjoy. Like you mentioned, that changes that emotional state, mm -hmm. which is then going to change the habit or the action. Yeah. It can't be like, oh, I'm going to go do something I don't like because you're not going to keep doing that. No, it needs to be the opposite of that. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I, I did a lot of this early in the process was I started to make lists of the things that I really enjoy doing. Oh, I forgot and to mention it. I used to take the dogs to the park. Yeah. I loved taking the dogs. to. Thank you. I totally forgot, yeah. like land the plane. I used to take <laughs> the dogs to the park and just throw the Frisbee outside in the cold, in the sun. And I would come back and I'd be like, I wasn't even hungry. Right. Right. But like put put your favorite stuff in those toughest times of, of whatever fast it is. Doesn't matter how long or how short the fast is, but you should have this list of things that you can go to because that's, you know, you talk about positive reinforcement. You talk about casting a vote in the right direction to undo years and years and years of, of these behaviors that we've like stacked on top of each other. We have reps and reps and reps that we're trying to undo here. Well, you're going to need some firepower. For that, you're going to need to start putting those things in place intentionally because 
you know, one of the other things that we hear um, for folks who, you know, come into our group or come into a challenge is that when they're, when they're struggling with, with really highly um, like high food craving problems where they're, they're thinking about these foods a lot, it's making them, or they feel like they're breaking their fast uh, prematurely because they're just thinking about these foods. A lot of times they're having these big swings because they're doing multi-day fasts that they think that's that's going to be the holy grail to like break these cycles. And so doing two and three and four and five day fasts, but then just coming back and almost like binge behavior sometimes, like I've been missing out on all these foods I've been thinking about for the last several days. And then they, and then they like get off the rails. So it's these huge swings on the scale, in the psychology, in the reinforcement of the process. And then it feels like I can never really gain traction like this. So it's, it's okay to focus on the shorter fast, like getting the consistent wins is going to be so much better for healing the food cravings, getting momentum on the scale with your fasting results versus trying to just like be a fasting hero. Right. Yeah. And it, it's what I'm hearing there is like almost putting in a couple of simple rules, like a couple mm-hmm. of simple, like just basic frameworks where I know, I know the triggers that I used to have, but now I don't have them anymore, but it didn't happen overnight. Fasting is simple. Yeah. Stop eating. But right. it's not always so easy. So yeah. like putting in a couple of frameworks that you can rely on because it eventually they become habits, right? Like let's just use, you know, um, for me, it's like, I don't eat chicken wings anymore. Mm. I just don't eat them. Did you used to? Oh yeah. All the time. <laughs> Especially when back in the, back in the day. Yeah. Like football, restaurant business, ma- restaurant manager, part owner, mm-hmm. Like it was, it was my go-to, right? So I can't just have one chicken wing. Right. And I'm not going to go and order six. Yeah. I'm going to order 25. So now when I do it, it is like super celebratory. Um, Maybe the one or two times a year that I get to play golf, I'll go get wings. Mm. But then it's like, all right, I know it's coming. I'm planning for it. But it's like in the interim, if you're struggling with certain, certain foods, then why not for the short term? Take your willpower out of it and just be like, I don't eat French fries. Mm, Yeah. Give yourself a break. (laughs) You will surprise yourself when all of the the wins that you get sticking to consistent fasting windows and balancing your blood sugar and removing the insulin and leptin resistance over time, you'll be able to come back to that like I can now. I can go eat them and then I don't want them again for six months. But before I used to think about like all the time, all the time going, yep. going past my favorite wing place. Yep. I used to work back in the day at a college bar and it was 10 cent wing night. <laughs> you better believe that. Like I look forward to that every single week and I went home with right. containers full. <laughs> so, yeah, no, no wonder. I mean, that would be so hard to stop thinking about. I mean, like think about how much how much thought went into that way back in the day. And even $5 worth would have been, you know, two or three meals worth of wings where you're thinking about it over multiple days. And then you had to drudge through the next three or four days before it, before they had 10 cent wing night again, right? Yeah, the your next, willpower is going to run out in these situations, right? Yeah. Which it, it's just going to. So yeah, the last one I really want to unpack just a little bit, Tommy, as we mentioned, is the, uh, the social networks. Mm. And there's studies that show that 
there's correlations between the groups that we so-called run in, yeah. right? Yeah. And and the the fact that obesity can can happen in clusters and there's a social connection to that. Like sure. the brother and sister study where, you know, if a brother is ha- tends to show, you know, abnormal eating patterns or obesity or or whatever, then then the sister or the younger siblings are going to as well. And I know for me, being a very social being back in the day that, you know, it was part of the routine. It was like, hey, we're going to get together and go do this. But yeah, making sure that we're, you know, leveraging the external triggers from the the people outside of you that have a potential control on your fasting window and your food choices. Yeah. So being able to say no or insulating yourself from those situations. So you make the decision when you get to decide when you're going to consume, indulge, break a fast, et cetera. Mm. And it's just, we hear so much of the, oh, my husband said this, my wife wanted to do this, my family's coming in town. We had a a pop-up insert, yeah. you know, social gathering here. Some of those things can really become immediate yeses when they should be maybes. Maybes or occasional yeses or let me give it let me give it some thought and see if if I if I want to participate or maybe I'll participate in a little different way. Because you know what, that fasting window for that time really is non-negotiable for me, but I do still want to partake in the social aspect of it. And that's okay too. And that could be, that can feel a little bit weird, especially early on in the process. But you know that this reminds me of that saying, like you want to be a successful person, then, you know, go hang out with, with nine other successful people. Right. And you'll most likely be the 10th. Well, the same thing goes for obese or healthy or unhealthy or insert whatever here, there's a good chance that you end up kind of as um, you you end up being highly influenced and and somehow related in a lot of um, in a lot of ways to to your social network that you spend the most time with. So so that's an important consideration. So drawing some healthy boundaries, especially early on in your fasting process. That's why we joke the first two rules, first of fasting, two rules, right? Don't talk about fasting. But at the same time, if you need to draw some healthy boundaries, because just like highly craveable foods, your outside network is is tending to to steer you in the wrong direction more of the time than you would like, then it, it's time to start saying no to some things or saying, well, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this a little bit differently now. Or you need to find a fasting buddy because yeah. there's there's not, especially in the beginning, that's why the first two rules are the rules, right? Yeah. <laughs> Until you get some wins and you see the weight loss and people ask you what you're doing and then you tell them you're fasting and then they revolt against the thought. Like, why would right. you do that, right? So right. there's layers there that we are, we are swimming upstream. We are doing something sure. different. You know, it's it, there's a whole host of of stumbling blocks in those conversations when yeah. you're new to it. Um, but that study that I referenced, I want to be really clear on the numbers. It was it was from the New England Journal of Medicine. The spread of obesity in large social networks over 32 years. So it was mm-hmm. 12,067 people. It was a large study, um, but 57 percent increase of becoming obese if you had a friend that became obese in the same given interval. So oh, wow. like with a 95 percent confidence interval, like. Whew, wow. Um, siblings was 40% with a 95% CI Mm. and then spouses, uh, was 37%. 
So the, the effects were not seen among neighbors, like in the immediate geographical locations and stuff. Yeah. But it was, um, there were phenomena that appeared to be revel- relevant in the biological and behavioral trait of obesity. And it seems to spread through social ties, right? Sure. So yeah. even if it's not a conscious thing, you know, being around, like you said, you know, in, in you hear this in, in mentorship programs for business all the time, right? Show me, show yeah. me, you know, I'll show you your results if you show me the five people you spend the most time with, right? Right, right. right? And it's like, there, there's some truth to that. So we're not saying, uh, you know, <laughs> fire, fire your husband or wife, <laughs> uh, cancel all of your friends. Right. Um, but just be aware that there is a external trigger or control sometimes sure. where... These people don't, and not to say they don't, but they don't understand what you as an individual are going through or what your health goals are or what your why is or why you even started fasting or how many years you've actually struggled with weight. Or so many times do we hear like, yeah, this started for me when I was a teenager, especially in women or in girls. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we have similar things where it was like, for me, my nickname in gym class was Fat Face Wattier. Like that was literally it. That was my... Like, like I had a big, I have a big head. I have to order hats specially online for a fitted hat. Like I have a large dome. It's yeah. a seven and five, uh, seven and uh, seven eighths. Like it's big. Okay. <laughs> so I can't just go and buy a hat, you know, first world problems off, off of the rack. rack. Yeah. Right. Right. And I have, I have a court always growing up. Oh, look at his cheeks. They would grab my cheeks. Right. Mm-hmm. Even after I lost all the weight, I still have a big head and I still have cheeks. Right. Like that is, that is me. It's not going away, but They're a lot of this anywhere. stuff. Right comes from such so long ago so these these external situations things that people say they don't even realize like what you're doing or what you're trying to do so Mm. just i just encourage if you're sitting here we talk about this as like the marriage merge if you're sitting here listening well how do i have these conversations well here's my rule keep it to yourself until you're confident enough to be able to have that conversation yeah if you're fasting and oh how come you're not eating you're 10 minutes you're 10 pounds into your 50 pound journey Wait till you get to 30 pounds, because when you get to 30 pounds, people are going to ask you, wow, what are you doing? And you're going to have so much more confidence to right. be able to handle that situation yeah. because it is a it is a real thing. It It is that it that external cue or control from the social aspect. There's everything. There's a Easter uh, candy. Like, just look at the cycle of candy that goes through and the promotion that goes through our holiday yeah. calendar here in the United States. Yeah. It's there's oh oh we're taking down the decorations, we're putting up the next thing. Taking this right. down. Okay, now it's thing now it's St. Patty's Day. Now it's yeah. 4th of July. Now it's a birthday. Now it's a it's always something <laughs> on the external that's trying to pull you off track. Yep. So really putting in some finding a fasting buddy, going to the fasting for life community group, yep. getting in the group, being in listening to the podcast, sharing the message with a friend. Finding a fat, like those things can really help on this journey as well. Yeah, they can. And um, I, I think getting plugged in is, is such a big thing because, you know, you really you really may be swimming upstream here, especially depending on on who who's in your network and, uh, you know, how familiar are they with fasting? Do they have the weight to lose that you have to lose? I, I just think it's a great point because um, I'm, I was just remembering going through the grocery store recently, seeing these different like multicolored cakes, you know, like, so we're over here in Houston and it was like king cakes everywhere. 
And so those are for Mardi Gras, right? But just a few weeks back, it was like Valentine's cookies everywhere. And before that, it was it was New Year's this and it was Christmas that and it was pumpkin pie. And it was like, there's never not a theme of these highly, highly craveable, you know, high fat, high carb, you know, desserts, the, the, the things that if you're not careful, you can pack them on top of the food that you've already eaten on top of the good nutrition that you've already had. And those calories are just going to sit in there. That fuel is just going to sit there because it didn't make you feel any more satisfied. Now you're, you're probably going to need to just set a timer and have some time to burn through those because you're not going to be able to to go have a piece of pumpkin pie and then go go straight to the gym for for two and a half hours of, of rigorous exercise to kind of quote unquote you know burn that off immediately you're probably going to have to wait that one out so so think of all the times that you may have had that that slice or or whatever it may be and and think think about that the next time you set your fasting timer Give yourself a reason why I'm committing to this one. Just like if you're paying off $100 worth of debt, well, well, post it on your fridge and remind yourself why you're, you know, you're skipping your next thing to buy so you can make an extra payment on that, on that, that debt there. And, um, you know, think about it like that. What I'm hearing is balance. Like yeah. there's got to be a balance point somewhere in there where you can figure out how this is going to work for you. We want to be encouraging in this yeah. that. We didn't really know where the conversation was going to go. We knew where it started with our own personal journey, looking sure. at the Yale food addiction meth scale and going, wow, that was me. Okay, well, what did I do over the last two and a half years? Yeah. And what have we seen in our groups and the conversations we have and the questions we get? And yes, it's a fasting podcast. Yes, <laughs> it's a fasting lifestyle. But we do need sustenance. And right. half of the problem, like I said, we didn't fast our way into having metabolic disorders and blood panels that were off. I didn't. We no. underslept, overstressed, yep. and overconsumed our way into these situations. So yeah. the best way to start is keep it simple. So I want you guys to, to if you haven't grabbed the resource, go to the website, thefastingforlife.com. There's the Fast Start Guide, which now has 20 minutes of video support. Yeah. So you get access to... 20 minutes of uh, short little videos. They're three minutes, three, four, five minutes a piece. Yeah. And they walk you through exactly how to put fasting into your day-to-day -day life. And with that, I want to make sure just to highlight that fasting has been able to undo all of the stuff that we just talked about in this conversation. Yes. By simply staying consistent with fasting windows that fit you as an individual, mentally, physically, and emotionally, a fasting window that you can commit to yeah. and stay consistent with. Forget about everything else we just talked about. <laughs> Simply doing that and having you, Tommy, in our conversations, and this is why we started the podcast, yeah. to, is what ended up getting us to where we are now. Yes. And this is what we see in the continuity group, in the community group, in our membership, is that staying consistent, having an accountability piece, and just mm -hmm. keeping it simple. Yes, we talk a lot about all the nuance and the psychology and the physiology, but keeping it simple, picking a window that you can mentally start to um, is really the best place to start, Tommy. So yeah. as we wrap up today's conversation, you know, a, a delicate one because there's stories on both sides. Is sure. it clinically relevant? Is it not? Is it truly an addiction? Well, the reality is, is that we need to find our, our own way through this process. Yeah. And hopefully today's conversation is going to land with somebody. So appreciate the convo, sir. As always, uh, send us a message, drop us a review. Uh, let us know how we're doing. Uh, love and appreciate you guys for listening and being on this journey with us. Tommy, as always, thank you for the conversation, sir. And we'll talk soon.
Thank you. Bye. So you've heard today's episode and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day life. While you're there, download your free Fast Start Guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life.